morning, um, I've got an opportunity uh, again this week to share. And um, morning, um, I've got an opportunity uh, again this week to share. And um, so uh, I've been thinking this week and trying to figure out, um, you know, just kind of uh, thinking through it. I told you last week, I don't normally, um, when I'm going to uh, speak, I don't normally just kind of try to figure out, oh, what's something I can talk about? I usually look at, you know, what's going on in my life? What's going on in our church? You know, what's going on around us? And, and, um, uh, just kind of see where God leads. And so the direction that, uh, that I've been going all week is I've been thinking so hard um, for a couple weeks now about baptism. I've been really thinking about it and really um, just thinking about how awesome it is, what a, what a neat experience, and just the fact that a lot of times we don't really um, maybe know exactly what it is. You know, it's this kind of uh, Christian process where we get dunked. We see people in a, in a pool and they get dunked and they come back up and everybody claps and takes pictures and, and uh, it, it's, it's cool, but, you know, necessarily what it is. So I've kind of been digging through that this week and looking at, at uh, baptism and kind of processing through that. And, um, and what it came down to this morning is we're not going to necessarily talk about baptism. Um, we're not going to break down baptism as to what it is and, you know, the root of it and the history of it and things like that, which I think would be interesting and probably beneficial. Um, but uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is um, uh, kind of the title is to bring honor. We're going to be talking about honor this morning and how we bring honor um, to our creator, how we bring honor to the one who has called us into this relationship with him. Um, if you want to, you can start flipping in your Bibles to um, the book of 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, and it's uh, about that far into the Old Testament. Um, probably one of the, I don't know, sixth book, something like that. So um, start flipping that way. So um, this morning, as we kind of get into this, I was thinking about the fact that, uh, you know, always when, when we're together at a group like this, we've got, we've got two different types of listening audiences. There's probably a lot more, but kind of a, a broad category. We've got a couple different audiences. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage you that... Um, it, if whenever I'm talking about this subject and you're saying, yeah, I understand what that means. I understand this relationship with Jesus, you know, this journey that I'm on, you know, this decision, this turning point in my life where I decided not to live for myself anymore, but to live for my creator. You know, if you're on that, that journey this morning, that's what we're talking about is, is, is how do you respond to that? Is it something that is just a decision? Is it something that you just say, okay, here's my new life path and you go on it and you still do what you were doing before, um, but it feels different? Well, we're going to talk a little more about what it actually looks like, how to respond to that call with a few examples. Um, if you're not on that journey, if that's something that's kind of fuzzy to you and you're like, you know what, um, you know, I, I like church, I, I like this, you know, God experience, I like, you know, being with Christians, um, and maybe you're not quite there yet, you know, every time we meet together is an opportunity for you as well to hear about what's, what's going on and what the Lord's doing and just give him an opportunity to kind of speak to you and kind of lead you. So I pray that, that no matter where you're at this morning in your relationship with the Lord, if you're there, if you're not, um, if you've walked with him for years, if you're still just kind of trying to figure out things, you know, everything that happens here uh, can serve a purpose. And I pray that it does that this morning. Um, so as we get started, let's, uh, let's go ahead and join together in prayer. Father, uh, we continue to worship you this morning, and uh, we give you so much glory and praise, and, and uh, we're so excited just to see the awesome things that are happening around us. Lord, I pray that there's great things happening in Highland. I pray that there's great things happening uh, wherever our feet are going at work and, and um, classes or whatever it is, but Lord, we know that there's some awesome things going on at camps around the country. Through Family Bible Church, there's um, some awesome work that's been done in Guatemala, in Tennessee, um, and, and probably multiple other places that, that I'm not even thinking about right now. I give you praise for servant hearts that we have in this church, people who are willing to go. 
Sometimes it's hard to walk in and think, man, you know, there's so many missing faces and we get selfish and want to have everybody here and, and, um, and worship together. But how awesome it is that, that we have people that say, you know, here I am, send me. I pray that each one of us uh, as followers of you would be willing to do that. And even if it's not something as, as big and as planned as a Guatemala mission trip, but even the small things, Lord, that we would be willing and ready to go and to serve you wherever. Father, I thank you for time in the word. I pray that it would be a blessing to all of us as we just dig into your scripture and see what you have for us this morning, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, so as you uh, kind of flip open to 1 Samuel, I want you to go to chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And we're going to dig into this a little bit um, kind of to set the stage for, uh, keep in mind, baptism. There's nothing in 1 Samuel chapter 2 about baptism. There's no stories of when Samuel got the big dunk or anything like that. Um, but what we're going to talk about this morning is something, uh, you know, much more important than the actual physical dunking of baptism. We're going to talk about what we believe here at Family Bible Church that it all comes back to, which is the heart. And we're going to talk about the heart this morning as we kind of dig into um, 1 Samuel chapter 2. So I want you to uh, start looking there with me. This story, uh, hopefully it's familiar to you. Hopefully it's something that you've, uh, you've read before or been uh, privy to at some point in your life. We're going to be talking about Eli. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 starts out, and Eli, it kind of sets a stage, is the high priest. Um, Eli is, is the, pretty much the, the head honcho at the, uh, at, the, at the temple. And remember in the Old Testament, um, you know, a, a big part of the Old Testament is the fact that, that people didn't have that personal relationship in the same way that we do now. You know, there, there wasn't this, uh, uh, this connection between God and us that bridged over our sin the way that it was when Christ died on the cross. There, was, there were these mediators that were used and, and the temple was used um, for a lot of different purposes and the main one that we think about a lot is sacrifices. You know, we think about the sacrifices that are made in the book of like Leviticus. We talked about it in Bible study this morning um, about, you know, how you have to take a certain animal and you have to slice it in half and you have to do certain things with certain entrails and all this intricate stuff that nowadays we look at and go, man, that's crazy. I don't even understand the point of that. And that's what, that's what the priest did in a lot of ways. They oversaw a lot of these things. When people sinned, they came to the tabernacle because that's what the law instructed them to do and they presented sacrifices and they, and they did these different things and so the, the priest oversaw a lot of these things. And uh, Eli happened to be the high priest. He was, he was right on top, kind of overseeing all these things. And what we're gonna talk about is his sons. Because Eli was a high priest, because Eli was a priest in general, he, uh, it, it was a family line thing. God had called his, his family line, his clan, to be priests. So Eli had these two sons, and because he was a priest, they were priests, okay? So we'll just kind of jump in. We're going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to read verses 12 through 17, and um, see what that has to say for us. It says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan and, or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take up for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the high priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young man was very great in the Lord's sight. 
for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. All right, so something that we don't connect with very well today. You know, it's not something that we really understand. Sacrifices and a three-pronged, like a trident, you know, think about the, the latest and greatest Percy Jackson movie with the trident of, um, what's the guy's, Poseidon, the sea god, you know, something crazy looking like that. Plunge it into this meat and pull out whatever comes. You know, what they're talking about is the provision that's in the law, the provision for, um, you know, how this, the meat of the sacrifice is to be handled. It's a very, you know, intricate, thing, and, and, you know, we could definitely get into the Old Testament and really dig through it. it, it it'd be a good study to really truly understand it, but basically what's happening here is Eli's sons, these high priests, these leaders of, of, their, of their faith are breaking God's commandment, and they're doing it openly. It's not something that they're just, you know, doing out of, um, oh, well, we didn't understand, or, or doing it without really realizing what they're doing. They're outright, they're sinning, they're kind of their servant, and they're stealing from these people. They're taking from their offering. These, this offering that they're talking about when they boil the meat, it had to be boiled, um, and, uh, and they would take this and they would uh, eat it. it I, I heard the term, and it makes sense to me. They would eat it religiously with their friends. Like it was something that they gave, and there are different types of offerings, but, but this meat was, was for, their, for their family. It was something that they eat as a, th- as a, as a praise to God. And so what's happening is the, high, the priests, the high priest's sons are coming in and they're stealing from them. They're taking these things that are set apart by God for other people and they're eating them. And we'll read on a little bit more about uh, you know, what they're doing with it. Obviously, they, they're saying they, they want to take the meat to roast it. And I thought that was interesting because you know, I, I don't know that I blame them in one regard. Um, in my household, we're not really meat boilers. We don't boil any meat. To me, if you boil meat, you ruin it. Um, I, I know people boil pork chops, I've heard that, um, boil hot dogs. I just don't get it. Why would you take this nice piece of meat and put it in hot water? I, I don't know. I mean, it, to me, you take meat and you put it on an open fire and you roast it. You know, that's, that's how it's good. I don't know. Maybe, that was, maybe that's why. They were like, you know what? We're tired of these boiled meat meals. We're going to roast some meat. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of historical context to it, but the, the truth of the matter, whatever their reasoning, whatever purpose that they have in this, they're stealing something that's not for them, and they're doing it openly. openly. And i uh, We'll read a little bit more about, um, about their sin and what they're doing wrong and, and why it's such a, such a huge error. But what I want to focus on is I want to focus on Eli. Um, now, Eli, he trusted God. Eli was a guy that, you know, if you talk about Eli, for the most part, you know, I, I think for me, before really studying into this and remembering what God's word says, Eli had a pretty significant role in the Old Testament. Um, the book of 1 Samuel opens up talking about Samuel. You know, we're not focusing on him today, but Samuel, you know, a very important priest, very important, played a major role in a lot of the, the things that are, that are coming in the Old Testament. And uh, Eli played a very critical role in raising up Samuel. If you remember the story, Samuel's mom, uh, one of those awesome miraculous stories where she came and, and, you know, came before the Lord and said, I don't have a son and I really want one. And if you just give me a son, I'll give him to you. I'll turn him over to you and to your service. And it happened. And, he, and, 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 and when he was weaned, I believe is what it said, they took him and they presented him at the tabernacle and they left him there. And so Samuel, this little boy, is raised pretty much by Eli and the other priests in the, in the uh, temple. And so Eli had this huge role to play. And as we read through 1 Samuel, it's cool because the things that Eli's doing are good. 
You know, it, it opens up and, and Hannah's in there and she's praying and Eli, he, he speaks to her and he guides her. He's like kind of, you know, sitting in his position as high priest and, and he, he calls her out. She think, he thinks she's drunk at the altar because she's praying and sobbing and just doesn't know what to do. And he kind of, you know, reassures her and, 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 and throughout the things that he's doing, he's serving the Lord. It's not like Eli is this high priest who's sitting back and just letting everything go to, you know, go down under him. You know, he's, he's serving and he's doing things but what I want to focus on is this one area in his, in his life um, that's kind of faltering. And that's the area of his parenting of his sons. It's kind of twofold because one, he's the parent of these two priests. I'm not going to say their names because I'll just get confused. They're, they're not American names, so I struggle with them. So they're not like three or four letters. Um, but anyway, um, so you know, in one, in one regard, he's a parent and he has some responsibility here. But in the even bigger regard, these are priests kind of under him in God's temple. You know, he is the high priest. This is his responsibility, and there's some nasty things going on with his priest. And it's really causing a lot of problems here. And so um, what I want to do is kind of focus on this, this call on Eli's life and the expectation that was on Eli um, to honor him in all areas, uh, all areas of his life. That's what we're going to kind of uh, move into this morning. All right, so um, we're going to move on in 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 to 25. There it goes. All right, so join me. Verse 22 says this. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. All right, so here we've got just a little bit more information. You know, it's bad enough that they're in there, you know, kind of completely disregarding God's regulations. They're disregarding God's law. They're disregarding what he has told them to do with the sacrifices. But now also, there's a situation where these women are coming in and they're sleeping with them. You know, so I, I mean, how do, we, how do we even put that in modern day terms? You know, we don't have the, the religious structure that, that models this anymore. Um, you know, I guess, I guess some, uh, you know, I think the Catholic Church in, in a lot of ways models some of the things, you know, with the, the levels and the, and the priests and everything like that. But, um, you know, even just imagine, you know, let's, let's break it down and put it on another scale of, you know, at Family Bible Church. Let's say, you know, the, between the pastors and the leadership team, these kind of things are happening where, you know, there's, there's specific way that God has instructed us to do it, and we're just disregarding it. We're teaching things that are completely opposed to Scripture. You know, we're, uh, you know let, let's, put it, let's put it in these terms. Let's say we're going to the joy box after the service, and we're grabbing money out of the joy box, and we're taking those checks, and we're cashing them, and we're going, and we're getting fat on that. We're going out and having steak dinners and everything on, on you know, the hard-earned money that people are, are, are setting aside for the Lord, all right? You know, sexual immorality, you know, maybe that's going on rampantly. You know, uh, just imagine that. Imagine how heartbreaking it would be, how, how disappointing it would be, how empty these seats would be pretty quickly. All right, and this isn't something, you know, like Highland, Illinois. This is Israel. You know, this is a major group of people. This is, this is the, the epicenter for their, for their worship. And these kind of things are happening. Now, Eli, um, you know, has, has this call on his life. All right, and we want to look at how Eli responds to that and see where his heart is in the matter. 
Now, what we have here is just a little bit. We have a little tidbit uh, that shows us what Eli is thinking. All right, and his, re- his response is what? It's a rebuke. He goes to his sons and he says, hey, guys, this is not good. You can tell he's worried about him. You can tell he's worried for him because he says, you know, if you sin against a man, God can intervene. But you're sinning against God. Who's going to intervene? You know, this is a, a very critical, very devastating thing that could be for their, their lives. Okay, so in one regard, Eli is, he's, he's warning his sons. He's rebuking them. Um, and if we leave it at that, we might say, well, you know, that's good. It's good that he did that. Um, but I think the next question is, so now what? You know, what's Eli's next step? Does he leave it at that? Does he say, well, all I can do is, is tell him. All I can do is just warn him, and the rest is up to them. As we continue to read, I truly believe that God has put him in this position, has given him this responsibility, and demands that something be done. And from what we have in Scripture, that's it. That's the beginning and the end of the way that Eli handled this. And uh, if, if that was all there was to it, if that was all that we knew, I would be a little more, um, a little more hesitant to, you know, condemn Eli for not doing his job because, of course, I don't have the information. But the cool thing is, is that God allows us to see Eli's heart without giving us all the details. And um, we're going to read that next. Um, As Eli warns and and, and we kind of wonder, we're left wondering, well, what else is there? We're going to move on to uh, verse 27 to 30 and see um, what happens and see, uh, you know, a little bit more about what his heart looked like. So join me in uh, chapter 2, verses 27 to 30. It says this, now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be disdained." All right, so I think, the, uh, I think the important thing to realize here is that this tells us, like I said, this tells us where Eli's heart was. Um, it, it's not for me to impose how, what his heart looked like because I, I can't even tell the person next to me what their heart is. Um, but God kind of gives us, gives us this view of this is, this is Eli's fall. This isn't just Eli's sons breaking rules and, and Eli, you know, watching them. This is, this is Eli's downfall too. Read with me what it says there where it says, um, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I, dis- that I prescribed for my dwelling? He doesn't say, why did you allow your children to despise my sacrifice? He says, why did you? This was, this was put on him. This was, this was his problem. And the, the, the fact of the matter was Eli didn't handle the problem. Eli let it go. He, he warned, he gave a rebuke, but this was his responsibility to clean up this mess and to handle it, and it didn't happen. The Lord gives him, uh, you know, gives him kind of the information through a prophet here of this is what's going to happen. This is, this is the punishment. I, I kinda, I'm kind of curious how long it took 
you know, how long this had been going on. I, I highly doubt it was a, a one instance, one instance, and here comes the judgment. I highly doubt that. Um, we were talking this morning in First Timothy about how patient our God is and how awesome it is that he's so patient. And uh, sometimes things seem to go on and on, and, and he's, he, he allows for, for those U-turns. He allows for those changes. Um, but the, the fact of the matter was it didn't happen. I want to focus in on, um, I think I've got a slide here. Let's see. No. Um, I want to focus in on uh, the term or the, the phrase there at the end of, of what we just read because I think it's critical here. It says, um, uh, but now the Lord declares, this is verse 30, far be it from me. The Lord says, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. A lot of times I read the New Living Translation. It's one that, um, that we used in college, and I really like it. It um, sometimes puts things in just a little bit, um, uh, for me, a little bit better way of understanding. And I liked the way it says it. It's real similar, but it says this. Uh, but I will honor only those who honor me, and I will despise those who despise me. Well, obviously, um, you know, we see that Eli, like we talked about, was honoring God in some areas, wasn't he? You know, can we agree on that? You know, God was using him. God was using him as he, as he pushed Samuel towards him. Um, as we read on, you remember the call of Samuel? Do you remember how cool it was where God came and called him and he jumps out of bed and he runs to Eli and says, what's up? And Eli's fast asleep and he says, I didn't call you, go to bed. And then he goes back to bed and he calls him again and he goes running in and this happens over and over again and Samuel's just confused, wondering why Eli's saying his name. And Eli says, that's the Lord, go back and listen to him. You know, that's, that's a really cool thing to me that Eli, you know, in, in some ways he's in tune with, with what's going on. He's pointing people in the right directions, but over here, this part right here is a big, big problem for Eli. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is, is those, those parts of our lives that are, that are little, but they're big, big problems in our lives. Because a lot of times we can say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm full bore ahead, you know, I'm, I'm running this race, you know, and I'm, I'm focused on Christ. We talked about that last year, or last year, uh, not quite, last week we talked about, you know, keep moving forward as we, as we push towards the prize, you know, we, we keep moving forward. But then there's these, these areas that we kind of drag behind us, and we talked about those last week too, about what they look like. And it happens over and over again, and they pull us back, and we say, you know what, let's just, let's just mask that. What I want to talk to you this morning about is the fact that God cares about all of those areas. When he calls us and when he desires us to be holy, he wants all of us. And Eli was giving him, it seems like, a pretty big, pretty big chunk. But God wasn't satisfied because there was a big area that he wasn't, he wasn't glorifying him in. Um, if, if you read on, we're not going to go through it. Um, if you like a nice gory ending to a story, you can read on and see what happens with Eli and, and the boys. Um, God handles it. You know, God takes care of it. He had, he had given Eli the promise and said, you know what, you know, I got you guys in here. And when their backs turned and when they started going the other direction and not serving the role that they were called into, God put an end to it. And uh, one thing that I just wanted to point out with, uh, it gives me a visual, was that uh, Eli and his sons were, were huge. They were very, very fat. And, uh, and it says over and over again, they're stealing this meat and they're getting fat on it. And uh, at the end of Eli's life, he's this really, really fat high priest, and he falls over and breaks his neck and dies. Um, not a very glorious ending to um, someone who was, you know, God's high priest, but definitely something to, to keep in mind. You know, there, there was a reason why they were stealing all this meat, and I'm 
guessing it was because they were very, very big and needed to fill that void. And uh, not necessarily um, what you would uh, view as a high priest, I guess, in, in my mind, I wouldn't. Um, so what I want to do this morning is I want to move on, and I want to keep that in mind. I want to keep the fact in mind that, um, uh, uh, you know, that, that Eli had this area in his life that wasn't glorifying to God. And what I want to challenge everybody here with this morning is I'm going to talk about how we honor God, how we glorify God, and what we have to do in order to respond to him. We could go on and on. We could do, you know, a, a two or three hour, you know, conversation about, you know, things that we can do to bring honor and to bring glory to God. What we're going to do this morning is just focus in on three. And the first one, uh, we honor God by responding with our words and deeds. If you would turn with me to the book of Colossians. This is one of those, uh, one of those life verses for me. Um, there's, there's two of them in Scripture. I think the other one's in 1 Corinthians, but they're very, very similar. And it's hard for me to memorize one because I keep trying to want to put them together. So we're going to read it together this morning so I don't butcher it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. All right, Colossians 3, 17 says this. Uh, chapter 3 is, is uh, in my Bible, at least noted as rules for holy living. It's kind of setting out how we're to live this life. Verse 17 tells us this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that verse, whatever you do. The other verse says, um, and whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, and it gives you a, just another way to think about it. It doesn't matter what you're doing, you're to do it for the glory of God. So my question this morning is for you, for, for you guys, for myself, do I honor God by responding with words and deeds that bring glory to him? I wanna ask you a question. In your, in your day, in your entire day, if I was to say you have had your words and your deeds removed, what would be left? Take out every word and every deed. What's left of your day? Anything? I can't think of anything. That's about it, isn't it? At some point in your day, you're either one, talking, or two, doing something. I was thinking, well, the only thing that's left is sleep. Well, sleep can be a deed. You know, it's something that we do. We go to sleep. You know, if you're sitting in your chair thinking, you're still sitting. You're doing, you're thinking. Words and your deeds are everything. Everything that you do is to be to the glory of God. So I want to ask you, the last time you drank a glass of water, did you do it to the glory of God? The last time you ate a jelly-filled donut hole, did you do it to the glory of God? I don't say that to uh, make anybody feel guilty. I had three. No, that's two jelly, one non-jelly. So, um, but I'm just, I'm just asking you that because, it's, I mean, we don't think about that kind of stuff. We don't think about everything that we do for the glory of God sometimes. You know, it's easy to say, well, you know, I, I serve in this capacity at my church and that's for the glory of God. That's awesome. You know, that's, that's very true. You know, Eli had a lot of areas in his life that he was glorifying God in but there were areas where he wasn't glorifying God. And I think that that's, that's a challenge for us this morning, is to think about our response to God. If he has called you on this journey, he has called your words and your deeds to bring him glory. So if that's not something that you normally think about, not something that you would normally um, respond to him with, I challenge you to think about that. If we remove our words and our deeds, there's nothing left. So if your words aren't glorifying to God, but you think your deeds are, you still got that area. 
If you think your deeds are, but your, or your words are, but your deeds aren't, you know, it, it's, it's still the same thing. I put on here um, in the bottom, uh, it says, in his steps. I wanted to talk about this because um, this is something that kind of gets a, a bad rap sometimes. Um, this is the title of a book. I don't know if anybody's ever read it before or heard of it. Um, it's, uh, it's been out for quite a while. I don't have the exact year, um, but I think, uh, what did I read? It's been read by like 40 million people or something like that. It's uh, the, the highest the highest read uh, Christian book of all time is the stat that was, uh, they actually just made a movie about it. But anyway, it's called In His Steps by a guy named um, Charles Shelton. And um, this is where WWJD came from. Um, believe it or not, WWJD didn't just appear on a bracelet one day for everybody's amusement. Um, just out of the blue. There was a reason behind it. There was a purpose behind it. And the reason I say it gets a bad rap is because um, it, it's just one of those things in, in, in the Christian atmosphere, in the, in the Christian world, um, uh, no matter what's going on, there's always a group of people that, that bash something, you know? If a group of Christians is doing one thing, then somebody else is gonna say, oh, that's silly. And, and it's true, and maybe some of you guys have, have said, I hate that WWJD craze that went around in about late 90s, early 2000s maybe. Um, but it came from this, and this book is an incredible book, and I encourage you to pick it up sometime if you like a, a fictional read. Um, it's a story of a town, and it's a story of, of um, a certain number of people in this small town who all of a sudden the Lord just does something huge in them and challenges them, and it starts with this pastor who's completely lost his passion for the Lord, and he, he is challenged with, what if I went an entire year and every single thing in my life I did, I asked the question before doing it, what would Jesus do? And so this pastor goes to his congregation. He says, I've been failing you. I'm not doing my job. I've lost my passion. This is the, this is the vision the Lord gave me, and he goes with it. And, and, and the story kind of follows him. It follows, I remember, a, a railroad guy, a, a big wig in the railroad industry back in that time. Um, it goes through um, a singer who decides she's only going to sing for the Lord, which kind of throws everybody for a loop. Um, and uh, I can't remember the other, there's another one, but um, it's just this incredible story and it makes you think, what if I asked that question? You know, yeah, it was a bracelet for a while and now we might have a bad taste in our mouth because, you know, Hollywood decided WWJD bracelets were awesome and, and it started to kind of lose its, uh, its purpose. But what if you actually lived that way? What if everything you did, you asked the question, is this something that Jesus would do? Or you ask something like, is this something that brings glory to God through my words and my deeds? And, and as you see the story unfold and you see these ridiculous decisions that are made, you know, where they decide, you know what, I'm not going to lie anymore, and now my job's on the line. Or I'm going to say it how it is and let the Lord decide who's going to fill my pews. You know, I'm going to sing only these type of songs, and I may have to change careers. You know, these huge decisions that sometimes, sometimes Christ calls us to. Not always, but sometimes Christ always calls us to make big changes. I don't want to minimize that. But sometimes he calls us to make huge, drastic changes in our lives in order to get us centered on him and on that path. All right, so the first way we honor God is by responding with our words and deeds. Let's move on to the second way. We honor God by responding with, here it is, baptism. Like I said, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think this is something that is not very well understood sometimes, and something that kind of gets minimized a little bit. And as we read scripture and start to understand how important it is, and, and really what the purpose of it is, I think we can really understand how we can honor God through this. If you would flip in your Bibles to a Matthew chapter 28, 
uh, a passage that should be very um, familiar to you. We talk about it a lot, and Bill has talked about it very recently. It's called The Great... What is it? The Great Commission. There you go. Remember the Great Commission and the Great Omission that we talked about a few weeks ago. The Great Commission. So we know the Great Commission to be something that's used when we're going on a mission trip, right? That's a, a, a big boost where we say we're going to go and we're going to disciple the nations. We're going to go make disciples. That's what they're doing in Guatemala right now. They're going and they're, they're attempting, they're seeing you know, what the Lord's going to use them for in, a, in an attempt to make disciples. And, um, but the big part that sometimes we don't think about is baptizing. Look at that with me. Verse, uh, verse 18 to 20 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So, there you go, baptism. baptism. Baptism is a way that we are to honor God and to respond with him and to respond to him. Now, um, I think we all probably understand that, that the Great Commission is something that's been given to us, right? That's not just for the disciples. That's something that, that we are to do. We are called to go. That's something that, that we try to put into practice. So I ask you this question. If we are to go and to make disciples and baptize them, doesn't that mean that we ourselves should probably be baptized? I think probably so. If it's important enough for us to go out and to baptize the nations, I think it has a pretty, pretty big significance on our lives as well. Like I said, we're not going to get into um, you know, all the, the doctrine of baptism this morning and exactly what it looks like and, and um, you know, how it's to be done and everything like that. There's a lot of discussion on that. Here at Family Bible Church, you know, we, we do the, the age old, you know, we dip them in. As, as we go down, we believe that that's a representation of us dying to our sins and being raised into new life and this new life with Christ. And it's a beautiful, beautiful demonstration. And we truly believe that this is, uh, you know, the term that I've heard and that, that I, you know, subscribe to is that it's, a, it's an outward demonstration of an inward change. It shows the people around you, it shows your body of believers, it shows your family, it shows your friends, it shows, you know, your community that you have made a change, you have died to the sinful nature that you were born into and you're raised up into new life with Jesus Christ and that there's a change that's happened in you. And it's a really, really cool way to demonstrate that. And so, you know, the question this morning is, you know, if you're on this journey, have you been baptized? Have you responded to God in that way? Um, I think a lot of times what happens is, um, you know, there, there's certain decisions in our life that are black and white. Um, a decision to change jobs is a black and white decision. You say, hey, Frank, how you doing? Good, I started a new job. Really, how's it going? Good. You know that Frank's life has just changed. You know, one job to another. Um, marriage, you know, hey, Zach, how you doing? I'm married. Cool, last time I saw you, you weren't. That's a pretty big decision. It's a big change in his life. You can see it. Now he's married. He's got a ring on his finger, probably. So those are the easy ones. Sometimes your journey with Christ is, is a process. Sometimes, you know, you may, you may be in church, you may be in Bible studies, you may be in a Christian community, you may be deeply involved, deeply rooted, and not have that faith in Christ. And it's something that may come a little bit later on. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, with baptism, we apply shame to it. We apply shame and we say, you know what, if you weren't baptized the minute you were converted, it's too late. 
it's too late to be baptized. And I think that's one of those internal things that I don't think anybody else would ever, would ever believe and would ever apply to you. Um, I remember, uh, man, it was a long time ago. Um, I remember being, a, not being a part, but being at a baptism service that was really cool and um, seeing a whole family, your family. I don't know, how long ago was that? It was a long time ago at Highland Community Church. What's that? 2000, so whatever year this is, minus 2000. So it was a long time ago. But being a part of, um, of, a, of a service and seeing, a lot of you were probably there too, seeing you know, um, a family being baptized and saying, you know what, this is a change. This are not just individually, but our family is changing. And it's cool to still, you know, to still see that and still be a part of that. It's awesome. Um, something else that I wanted to share about baptism is um, another negative um, influence, I think, over, over time of baptism is um, how we've taken baptism and we've connected it um, with church membership. And while I don't, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, and I don't want to, you know, condemn anybody. That was, that was the way that I grew up. And I remember joining my church. Um, I was able to join my church when we moved there because I was baptized. You know, the board sat me down and they went through the list of questions. And, you know, I had to make sure, and, and it sounds bad, but prove to them that I had a conversion experience. And I had to prove to them that I was baptized in a different church. And then they, you know, accepted me as a member. And uh, my brother, who was older than me, who wasn't on the same path that I was on, who didn't have the same convictions at that time that I was on, hadn't been baptized. So the three of us had this, you know, this kind of little ceremony of becoming members, and my brother didn't. It's really weird, um, really kind of strange uh, thing. But what happens is we, we connect baptism with membership, and it becomes, it slowly becomes like this, this critical element of our salvation experience. And it becomes something other than a representation of this new life in Christ and become something that maybe it wasn't intended to be. The next verse I want to share with you guys is in Acts chapter 16. I love this because the question um, that I always ask myself is, well, when? You know, when is, it, is the time to be baptized? I know for me, whenever I went forward and I said, you know what, I want to be baptized. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. Uh, I'm a Christian now. I want to be baptized. They said, awesome. Here's all you have to do. Um, take this class and go through these steps. We'll set a time and, and we'll, we'll handle it. And uh, what I wanted to do is take you to Acts chapter 16 and I want to look at this conversion experience and see how they handle it because it's one of, my, one of my favorites. All right, uh, ch Acts chapter 16, we're going to read verses 31 to 33. And uh, this is uh, Paul and Silas are in prison and this is the uh, jail guard who's seen a miraculous experience going on and they've been ministering to him and this is what happens. It says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them to his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. What a cool story. I love that. I love that story. They're in jail and they're in this really dark place and they're ministering to this jailer. And he has this change. You know, he's going one direction and he turns around and says, I get it. You know, I believe in this, this Christ that you're telling me about. Okay, and so he had the response, you know, basically, you know, what, what am I to do? And they go to his house and they respond with baptism. 
And I love the word. I put it on there immediately. I love that. And, and it's something that we don't do. I don't know why we don't do it. Um, maybe we just want to be really careful. Um, but, you know, even here at Family Bible Church, not a bad thing. It's just how it's done is we say, hey, there's a baptism coming up. If you want to be baptized, we're going to set a date and you can come and be baptized. But it wasn't like that at this point. You know, they didn't have churches, or in our case, Highland Community Pool. Um, they had bodies of water, and they said, you know, you get it. You, you, you know, this change has just happened. Let's go. Let's go down to the river. And him and his whole family were baptized. I, I wonder who was at that baptism service. You know, how many people were there, who was watching, what they thought. You know, this wasn't a slow process for them. This was a, a quick change. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I, I long in my life to have that opportunity to, um, to see an immediate baptism. And, and I've heard about them before. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing. The point that I want to make with this is not just uh, that it's your job to respond immediately, but the cool thing is it can be done immediately. It's not a way to seal your salvation. It's not a way to make sure that the decision that you made is, is, is solidified it's a way to demonstrate what has happened in you, and it's something that Christ has called us to. So you can respond any time. I'd love to be a part of it, too. I'd love to be there. I know everybody here would be. The last thing I want to say about uh, baptism is uh, I had a really cool conversation that stuck with me this week with some guys I was talking to, some um, relatively wise men, um, I believe, in my life. Um, there was a conversation about, um, you know, raising up their children, and they were talking about, um, you know, oh, I say this and I say that, and sometimes it doesn't sink in, and I just don't know what to do, and in, in the, um, the, the, what would you say, the mention, someone mentioned this, and it really stuck with me, was the fact that it's not always the words that you say that make the difference but it's you living out your faith in front of your kids. And I think that's so cool because that's so true. I believe, I mean, I'm barely a parent. <laughs> I don't mean that in that bad way. I mean, I've only been a parent for a year and a half. Hopefully I'm doing okay. Um, but uh, so I haven't necessarily seen that, but I think that's so true that sometimes, you know, young people don't hear anything that you say, but you know what? You're still ministering to them by the way that you live out your faith in front of them. And this is something that, that's just stuck with me with, with baptism. It's an outward display. It's a sign to other people. And what a great way to minister to your children, to be able to live out your faith in front of your children. What an awesome way to live out your faith in front of friends. What an awesome way to live out your faith in front of your parents. You know, no matter who you are or what stage of life that you're in, a response in baptism is a way to express that sometimes in a way that words don't necessarily do. You can talk all day long and it may not sink in. We talked about that this morning too. It's cool how things always go together about, um, you know, what we believe is ignorance to people who don't believe. And that may be a way of breaking through that and being able to display it, a lasting impact that we all want. All right, moving on to our last, uh, our last point here. We honor God by responding with communion. This is something that we do here at Family Bible Church. Um, I don't remember what it is. It, it, we have a regular routine, and it's not, Bill always says it, and it's so true. It's not because it's right or wrong, you know. There's nothing in God's Word that says you must, you know, um, do communion every third Sunday, you know, except during the leap year where you have to meet on another day and do it again. Like, it doesn't say that. Um, the reason we do it is just because that's what's been set up. That's what works for us. And uh, communion is something that uh, we just wanted to take a, a short period of time this morning before we uh, partake in communion and discuss it and discuss how it too is a way that we can honor God by responding to him. 
It's something that he's called us to. And I want to look in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians this morning and uh, dig into that just a little bit with you, if you'd turn there with me. 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at chapter 11. Definitely, uh, between baptism and communion, communion's the easier one to respond to uh, because everybody's doing it, right? In almost anything, if there's a large enough group of people doing it, it's easy to do. Um, baptism is, is a much more personal thing. It's something that, that you, know, you really have to think about and you really have to decide yourself um, you know, what's going on inside you and what the Lord's calling you to. Uh, communion is right here. It's in front of you. It's easily accessible. You know, anybody can just walk up here and do communion and go about their day. Um, physically, they can do that. Let's, uh, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians and let's dig into it just a little bit more as to, you know, how we're supposed to respond to him in this way and a little more information about it. So we're going to read verses uh, 23 through 30 in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would join me. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he, being Jesus, took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Um, as we uh, think about communion this morning and, uh, and consider a time to, to respond to God, a time to honor him through um, a tradition that he has called us to, um, something that is a beautiful representation of his death and what it means for us, his body broken and his blood shed for our sins. Um, like I said, it's, it's an easy thing and anybody can just, you know, come up and partake of it. And, and, that's, and that's a neat thing, something that Bill and I talk about. Um, it's cool that, um, you know, it's not our duty to limit people and to say, you know, this side of the room can take communion, this side can't because you guys are sinners on this side. You know, nobody can do that. Um, we can't stand up here and say, you know, because you've signed, you know, this agreement, you know, to be a member of Family Bible Church or something, you can partake. You know, we can't do that. It, it's, it's this open table. It's a table that's open to those who believe. And the thing about it is, it's, it's like I said a second ago, it's a tradition. Um, I know for me and for a lot of young people, when you hear the word tradition, you kind of cringe and go, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, some of us are... Um, um, a little more apprehensive around traditions um, because of the way that traditions have kind of driven um, different churches and different congregations and maybe our childhood in some way. Um, also, tradition can become something that is a routine. It's something that you do. It's something that you don't think about. It's something that maybe can get to a point where you're not honoring God because you're not doing it the right way. The right way is not the way that we tell you the right way is what God's word says. So as we just kind of uh, uh, briefly go over this and just make sure that we are uh, in agreement, make sure that, that we understand what God's word teaches about the table of communion. It says, a man ought to examine himself, in verse 28, before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. 
You ought to examine yourself. You need to look at your heart. Where's your heart at? We believe that this table is for those who understand Christ's body broken and understand Christ's blood shed on the cross. For those who understand that that's not just a, a gruesome historical picture, something that made, you know, a blockbuster movie, something that, you know, has made really cool bobblehead dolls to put on, you know, the, the dashboard of your car, but something that has changed the entire history of our world and something that has changed our lives, something that has made all the difference. And I encourage you, examine yourself. Not only um, do we encourage you to examine your relationship with the Lord, um, but we also uh, encourage you to examine where your heart is right now. Um, as, we, as we close up this morning, I want you to think about those things that we talked about with Eli, those areas of his life that he was not honoring God. What do those look like for you? What do they look like for me? Um, man, I hope somebody here doesn't have those areas. If you do, I'd be kind of surprised because I think we all have those areas that we need to focus on and that we need the Lord's help and that we need the Spirit's, gui- the Spirit's guidance to be able to kick aside. But sometimes those that we kind of mentioned last week can overtake us, can overcome us, can become uh, the focus of our life. And I think at those points, we examine ourselves and see what is our standing with Christ? Where's our relationship at? As we move forward this morning, um, we're going to do communion together. Um, In a few minutes, we'll we'll have the band come and um, they'll lead us in, in some music. And I challenge you to examine yourself, as Scripture says. Um, take into consideration um, the, um, the warnings that come along with that. You know, the warnings that Paul tells us about of, you know, those who don't understand what they're doing can drink judgment on themselves. It, it's an important thing. It's a very critical component of what we do here. And it's also very, um, it's, it's a, a very important issue. So I pray that, um, that your heart would be in the right place this morning. And if it's not, don't feel bad. It's not a bad thing to let the, as we would say, let the plate go by, you know, or let the, the cup go by. Um, this morning, we're, everybody's going to come forward, but in the same way, um, you know, make sure that, that you're where you need to be at with the Lord as we do this together. And I'm going to leave you with, uh, I'm going to leave you with two things this morning. Like I said, there's hundreds and thousands of ways that we can respond to God. And I ask that you would think about these things. What areas of your life are not honoring to God? Like Eli, what areas have you not relinquished to him? What areas have you not been bold enough to stand up to your sons like Eli or to your spouse or your employer or to your children or to whoever? What areas are not honoring to God? And then the next question, what changes is he calling you to make to live out your faith daily? I talked about how baptism can be a way to live out your faith in front of whoever you need to live out your faith in front of, your, your parents or children or, or you know, co-workers or whatever it is. That's that daily living out your faith in front of people. What changes do you need to make? And respond to God what is sharing with you because ultimately that's what it's about. It's not about what Corey says up here and the examples that Corey gives, but the questions or the, uh, the truth is, what is God doing inside of each one of you? What is he stirring in you? What is he calling you to do? Because he's always calling us to make those changes. So uh, I'm going to pray this morning, and uh, I'm going to leave this up here so we can just kind of um, think about it. And of course, the most important thing we need to reflect on is Jesus Christ. 
and the way that his body was broken and his blood was shed so that our sins can be forgiven. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. Um, so I invite you um, here in just a couple minutes, uh, we're going to have everyone come forward uh, and pass by the table. Um, we've got the, the large loaf of bread and um, you just tear off a piece and, and you can dip it in the, um, in the juice as it happens to be and um, uh, partake when you're ready. Um, on your own. And uh, we'll have the band come up and, and lead us in uh, a final closing song this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, we give you praise again for um, a beautiful day and for a beautiful time to be able to enter together and have some worship, um, have some music to be able to sing about who you are and your glory and your might and to focus on you. Lord, I pray that it's been a blessing to you. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the challenges that are in there in the way that you've called us to respond to you. I pray that our lives would reflect that and that uh, hearts would be stirred with the reading of your word this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for Christ and for the, the history-changing act that took place 2,000 years ago. It's such a beautiful thing to know that the sins that we are bogged down with and the sins that, that uh, we have been saved from don't have to control us, don't have to destroy us, and don't have to dictate the rest of our lives and our eternity, but we can be seen through you. I thank you for the, just the beauty of it in such a gruesome picture. I thank you for that, that cross, that large representation that we have here at Family Bible Church that reminds us what you went through to cleanse us and to bridge the gap between us and, and the Father. We thank you so much and we give you praise and we pray all this in his name. Amen.